I guess the, the big thing that we want to start off saying is that, like, we love social media here at Refresh. We love technology. Um, it would be incredibly hypocritical for me to stand up here and tell you about why you should delete your Facebook account and Insta account. Meanwhile, I'm on it every day for, for copious amounts of time. And most of us are, aren't we? Like, most of us are on social media in some form or another. Can I get some hands if you have one any form of social media presence? Can I just get a quick hands up? Yeah, so, I mean, I think it would be few and far between the people who aren't on social media, and I dare say that if you're not on social media, it's not out of just uh, happenstance. You've actually made a conscious choice not to be on social media. And, and I guess that's a little bit... Uh, like, I applaud you for that. I probably, I feel like I'd get too bored on my own without seeing what other people are up to in their lives. Um, but I can definitely see why you've decided to go that way. So I guess what I'm hoping is that this series has something for everyone. Um, whether you're a Jesus follower, whether you, whether you don't consider yourself a Jesus follower, I think um, there's something to be gained by just uh, acknowledging that we use social media a lot. And anything that we spend a lot of time doing, it's worth every now and then assessing how it impacts the rest of our lives. So it's great to stay uh, up to date with what's happening in the outside world. It's great that social media allows us to connect with, with more people than we'd be able to connect with otherwise. It's great that we can extend and minister even to people outside of our little social bubble. But I suppose last week we started by talking about um, one of the things that can happen when we, when we spend a lot of our time on social media and we're not careful about how we do that is that we tend to be seeing other people's lives in terms of a highlight reel because no one shares anything on social media. Well, people rarely share things on social media that are mundane, that are boring, that, that you know, they think no one would care about. So often we're seeing the best snapshots of people's lives and Sharon spoke last week about how we know the worst parts of our own lives. So we're comparing the best of their best with the worst of our worst. And we end up thinking, well, compared to them, my life is terrible. We end up with some form of discontentment, whether it's a, a material discontentment or a relational discontentment or even just a circumstantial one. You know, by this point of my life, I thought I'd be where they are. By this point of my life, I thought I'd have this. I'd, I'd be at this point of my career or whatever the situation is. By seeing all the best things about someone else's life on social media, we are at risk of just comparing them to the worst bits of our lives and, and becoming a little bit envious of, of where they are compared to where we are. And so as I said, we, spent, we spend a lot of time on social media as, as Australians in particular. Um, I had a quick look online. The guys who make white, uh, sorry, yellow pages actually did a survey last year um, and they surveyed 1,500 Australians and found that, I don't know if you can read that, but it says 60% of Australians use the internet more than five times every single day. They also said that 62% of us use Facebook every single day. And, and Facebook is, um, across the Australian population, the most commonly used social media platform. Um, it differs a little bit in different demographics, but um, overall, most m more people use social more people use Facebook than any other form of social media. For those of you who are in the workforce, I just want to ask, how many of you, hands up, how many of you have used social media at work? Yeah? For a non-work-related activity. Yeah. So, those of you who didn't put your hand up, probably some of you are lying in church right now. 
And you don't have to. You don't have to admit it to me, but God knows. And I just want you to know that. But but statistically, 54% of us, 54% of working Australians end up on social media at some point. And, and in 2018, we as Australians averaged tw- 10 hours per week on Facebook alone, right? That, that doesn't take into account Snapchat, Instagram, Flickr. I, I, I feel like I'm pretty young, but I, there are so many new platforms that I've never even heard of. Um, so that doesn't even take those into account. And I feel like for young people in particular, the Facebook statistic is not even that relevant because they're probably spending more time on Snapchat and Instagram than, than they are on Facebook. So I think that 10 hours per week for just Facebook you can probably multiply that by a factor of two or three when you take into account all the other social media platforms that we're engaging with. And I mean, 10 hours a week doesn't sound like too much off the cuff, but I mean, it's more than an hour a day of, of, of screen time just on Facebook, let alone all the other stuff you do on the internet. In 2018, 29% of the 1,500 people surveyed admitted that they'd spent more time on social media that year than they had the year before. And 17% said that that actually decreased their activity over the course of the year. It was interesting that a large proportion also admitted that they felt they probably spent too much time on social media and that they were planning to decrease the amount of time they spent next year, in the coming year. So I guess my question to you is, if, and if you fall broadly in this, within this statistic, you know, give or take a couple of hours a week, if you're spending that much time doing something, you probably owe it to yourself to assess, you know, how it's impacting your life, how it's impacting your relationships. How could it not have an impact on the rest of your day-to-day life? So as we move through um, some things that, that Jesus said and some other followers of Jesus said today, I, th- I guess what I want to, uh, the lens that I want to view this through is something that Jesus said to his disciples just towards the end of his ministry. So it's found in John chapter 13, if you've got your Bible on your phone. Um, and it's, it's right after Jesus had finished um, ministering to the disciples by washing their feet. So for those of you who are familiar with the story, the, there's, you know, 13 men that have just walked all day to get to where they are. Um, they rock up filthy, dirty, uh, and, you know, typically they would probably be expecting someone to be there, some kind of servant or host or someone to wash their feet at the end of the day before they sit down for their meal. And no one's there and all, everyone's looking around wondering who would do it. And the Son of God just puts a towel around his, t- the towel under his belt, gets some water and just starts washing all the other men's feet one by one by one. And I think in our culture, you know, we don't often wash, wash feet as a routine, but I think in our culture, it's hard to really fully appreciate the humility that re- is required for that action. The fact that none of the other disciples were willing to do it. And the fact that Jesus did it not only for the disciples that, you know, that he, he felt close to in that moment, he did it for the disciples he knew would, 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 deny who he was. He he did it for the disciples who he knew were about to betray him. And so as he finishes this sort of undignified, you know, humble act of service, he says to the disciples, uh, a new command I give to you, love one another. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And so what Jesus has done is he's just, it's the perfect time to give that message because he's just finished illustrating for them, demonstrating for them the kind of love that he's talking about. And every time we see Jesus use the term love in the Bible, it's never a passive word. It's never a passive type of love. 
Love for Jesus is never just a feeling. It's always accompanied by action. So he says to his followers, don't just love people in the way that you're used to loving them. Don't just love people in a way that's convenient to you. Don't love them selectively. Don't love them um, when it doesn't cost you anything or, or when it, you know, it's, it's not too much of an imposition. Love them as I have loved you. Humble yourself, sacrifice yourself, sacrifice your own passions, your own interests, your own priorities for other people the way that you've seen me do it for you. And he says, this is how everyone will know that you're my disciples. So for those of you who, who consider yourselves Christians, it's, it's, it's a pretty heavy statement. If this is the defining feature of, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, it should be higher, higher on my radar than it actually is. What's interesting really about this as well is that it's not so much just what Jesus said, but it's also what he didn't say. Jesus didn't say, people will know that you're my disciples if you have perfect theology, if you have a flawless belief system, if you know all the laws, if you know all the rules and you follow them. Good theology is important, but it's not, it's not what stands out to people when they see us and recognize us as Christians. He doesn't say, people will know that you follow me if you never skip a week of church, never miss a week of church, you're always in church, you're heavily involved. Going to church is great, worshipping together, I think that there's something so valuable and powerful that we can gain out of coming together as a community to worship. But that's not what Jesus says here, defines us as Christians to other people. He, says, he, doesn't, say to, he doesn't say to his disciples, you know, They'll know that you're one of my disciples. They know you'll follow me if you have a, a, you know, a Christian bumper sticker on the back of your car or that little fish logo on the back of your car. And to be honest, if that logo were on the back of my car, it would make someone think twice about wanting to follow Jesus, I think, because of the way I drive my car. It's a pretty ruthless exercise. But if you do have that bumper sticker, that's great. But it's not the, it's not the thing that people look at and go... I don't know anything about them, I don't know what it is, but there's something about them that's different and I want what they have. Jesus says, people will see the way that you love and they'll look at what you have and say, I want to be a part of that. So that's the lens I want to look at, um, social media and technology. and You can put in there um, anything, any other thing that you feel might take up a lot of your time and distract you from living that way, from living the way that God would have you live. So there are three things I want to talk about this morning in terms of how social media is changing the way we do relationships, the way we relate to each other. The first thing that I think um, is important is that the term friend is evolving. So um, for those of you who are about my age or maybe a bit younger uh, and who have a dad like mine, You'll, you will have heard over and over again that, you know, back in the dark ages when they were, like, young, they, they used to actually do stuff with each other, you know? Like, they, they used to get out with their friends and hang out and, and do activities and not just sit on their phones all the time. I don't know if anyone, any of you have, have had a similar spiel. If you haven't, it's possible that you've been giving that spiel to your children. And I think that the interesting thing is that friend back in that time probably really meant someone that you did life with, Right? You confided in them, you, you spent lots of your time face-to-face -face with them, um, and you, sh you shared with each other, you know, trials, tribulations, victories as well. 
and friends still means that, but it, it's also evolved to, to encompass another category of person, right? Because now friends, uh, the term friend might just mean someone that, you know, has added you on Facebook. You may have talked to that person before. You may have never seen them face to face. They may just be a mutual friend of yours. So someone that knows one of your friends, you've never seen them, never spoken to them, and they add you on Facebook. Has that happened to anybody? Metsy, you're a popular guy. Um, but, but again, according to, according to these statistics, if we think of, of Facebook friends now, the average Australian has 239 of them on average, that is. So I'm sure some of you would look at that number and, and laugh to yourself about how adorably small it is. Like I know plenty of you have got well into, you know, over 500, over 1,000, 1,500 friends on Facebook, and I am truly envious of you. I remember when I was, you know, just finishing year 12, I looked at my my friend thing, and I had like 328 friends, and I was just adding anyone. Like, I honestly just wanted to get over 400, and then when I was over 400, I wanted to get over 450. And um, meanwhile, Ash, my wife, she just, people were adding her left, right, and center. I don't know why. I think, um, you know, we've both got a lot to offer. But, um, but she's... While I'm frantically adding friends while I, as many as I can, she's, del- she's culling. She does a cull. I know Nate Fraser does this as well, a regular yearly Facebook cull where he goes, are you really a fr- someone I consider a friend? You know, do I really feel like I share my life with you? And if not, should we be friends on Facebook? And I, I don't know if some of you have that kind of philosophy as well, but it's, it's not a bad one. So some of you have got well over 1,500 friends, but if I think if I sat you down right now and I asked you to tell me who your friends are, you wouldn't start listing 100, 200, 1,500 names. You might tell me, you know, three or four people that you, you know, you feel like are your, your, your close-knit friend group, maybe a couple of cars full, maybe 10, 15 people. And sociologists have theories about this, and it's not, it's not really that, it's not that mind-blowing really, but they talk about the way that our brains have a finite capacity to maintain relationships with other people. And so we end up, our brains end up layering our friend groups subconsciously most of the time so that you might consider you have three or four really close friends who you devote a lot of energy to. And then you might have 10 to 15 friends who are kind of at that next social echelon. And you might have up to 150 friends. A few years ago, there was a big news thing that went around all the news outlets saying, you know, if you've got more than 150 friends, you're lying. You know, you don't have that many friends. And um, that's based on this research that was done over in the UK. But we all, like a lot of us, obviously have more friends than that on Facebook. So this term friend, we're using fairly generously, and it doesn't mean what it used to mean necessarily. Interestingly, another study uh, was done in America a few years ago. And they asked people, you know, how many close friends do you have? Forget about this evolution of the term, but forget about Facebook friends or whatever. How many friends, if you had to tell me, who you consider your close friends, who you would share intimate details of your life with, how many do you think you have? And the surprising thing was that compared to 25 years earlier when they ran a similar study, the number had actually decreased by one or two on average. So there's a little bit of a a disconnect, a little bit of tension between the idea that we've got more connections than ever before, and yet we feel like potentially we have less close friends than maybe we did or people did 35 40 years ago. I think the problem here is that the connectedness, the problem that we can face, not not definitely, but the problem we can face is that the connectedness that we gain on social media 
shouldn't, isn't intended to replicate the intimacy that we gain from personal face-to-face relationships, from time that we actually spend with one another. The second thing that I think um, happens with social media with respect to relationships is that we, we run the risk of becoming a little bit addicted to immediate feedback, instant gratification. So if you, well, I'll, I'll pick on a few people. If Ash or my sister Samika, if they were to take a selfie right now or take any kind of photo right now and post it on, on Insta or whatever, in one to two minutes, they would have some kind of feedback on what they'd posted. Someone would have liked it, commented, whatever. I'm very selective with that because if I were to do that, if I posted something on social media, the response would be mainly confusion because I'm pretty ashamed to say that my presence on social media is very creepy. I kind of just lurk in the background. I never post. I never do any... I think most people would be shocked to learn that I'm on one social media because I never do anything. I just watch what everybody else does. And I don't know if there are any others of you like that. I know my dad is, but I don't know. I'm seeing some finger pointing as well. Maybe mum as well. Yeah, maybe it's an Evans thing. I think we're learning something, but... But I, I don't tend to post very much. But if you are the type of person who posts regularly, you'll, you'll often get feedback instantly. You know, you'll post something and maybe someone will put, you know, comment the, the love heart emoji face, the fire fire emoji, 100. I don't actually know the, the meaning of these emojis really, but there'll be some form of gratification most of the time when you post something. And I guess that's not a bad thing. But what happens is when we post and we get that instant gratification, uh, it stimulates a part of our brain that called, called a reward pathway. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this idea that there's a reward pathway that whenever we see or do something that, that gives us pleasure, dopamine is released in this particular part of our brain and, and it reinforces the idea to us that we should do this more often, right? Um, so it could be eating, it could be you know, watching your favourite TV show, um, you know, addictive drugs stimulate this this region of the brain in a very particular and specific and potent way. Um, you know, if you're married, special adult activities also stimulate that region of your brain. And social media, like people have done studies that indicate social media can have that same effect, can stimulate that same part of your brain. But sociologists also refer to this idea that, uh, this, uh, this concept of deferred loneliness, right? So because we get instant feedback on social media, what that can do, and maybe it doesn't for you, but what it can do is delay or defer any sense of loneliness or insecurity or, or perhaps just sadness that you're, you're currently feeling. You kind of get a boost of dopamine, you get a boost of positive reinforcement, instant gratification. And so we're living for likes. We're living for that next like on our post. We're checking our phones to see how many we're up to or seeing who's replied to us, who's commenting. And all the whole time, we're longing for like for a deeper, more intimate connection with people, for more intimacy in our day-to-day relationships. And this may not be an issue for you, but I think it's worth considering, worth looking at, at the way you use social media and seeing whether that's possible. And the third thing that I want to talk about is, is that when we, when we engage on social media, the interesting thing about it is that we have this power to do friendship on our own terms, right? We're in complete control on social media of how we behave, how we respond to other people. So 
if someone texts me, um, someone messages me through Facebook or, you know, tags me in something, um, I have I have the complete control over how I respond to that. So it's all it's all me focused. It's all about how I how I feel about what they've done. So I'm terrible at this. So I've got to put my hand up and say, if someone texts me, if you get a, a reply within the next week, that is probably about average. I just I just don't tend to reply, and it's it's actually a significant flaw for me because you wouldn't leave someone hanging like that in real life. If someone you know if someone walked up to you and you know if you wanted to start a conversation with you, you wouldn't just you know do your own thing and then when you get around to it, oh yeah, you know, never mind, and just fob them off. But I have that tendency on, on social media or through text messages to just, just let it go. You know, I'll look at the message and go, I'll, I'll worry about that later. Someone posts something, I'm scrolling on by and I can decide, is this like worthy? Is this post worthy of me double tapping on it and giving them a little boost of dopamine? Or am I just going to scroll right on by and, and you know, past all of the, the little cat photos and the, and the dog photos and every, all the other stuff that I'm getting so sick of people posting. In fact, if they don't stop posting it soon, I think to myself, I might just unfollow them. That'll serve them. They, they've got to up their game. But imagine if, we, if I treated people this way offline, in the real world. Imagine if I like, they're talking and I'm just mentally scrolling right on by. That doesn't influence me. That I do not care about that. That's how I can tend to behave on social media. And so although there are so many incredible benefits to using social media to connect with one another, I think that we do need to be careful. We do need to take stock that we aren't using this this form of connection as a substitute for genuine face-to-face relationships and intimacy. Because the reality is, because for many of us, although we, we feel more connected than we ever have, we also feel sometimes more alone than we're used to feeling. We can defer the loneliness using social media. We can live for likes when in reality we're longing for, for love. But at some point we have to think about how we get from here to there, how we get from where we are right now to, to that deeper level of, of intimacy that we really crave. So I want to look at a few things that... Um, that are in the New Testament about this kind of thing and, and again, looking through the lens of how we can best love one another. So if you have your Bibles, just turn to, to Hebrews chapter 10 uh, and verses 24 and 25. And we'll start there and it says, the writer of Hebrews says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. It's that first part, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Wouldn't it be great, and I, and I know that this is what we're striving for at Refresh, to come together as, as a group, as a community, and just think about how can we be so aggressive in the way that we love on other people that, that they look at us and go, wow, there is immediately they know there is something different about us. They look at us and go, gee, they must be followers of Jesus. Have you seen how they love? And Jesus, says, Jesus also says elsewhere that where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. So I guess what I want to talk about a little bit now is, is the power of presence. Because I think some of us need to rediscover that, the power that comes when we band together with other believers or just with other close friends. And we either worship, we show love, you know, we motivate one another, and we just, in general, do life together. 
and if you've been coming to refresh all year, maybe you're sick of hearing about this this topic because we've been pushing this whole idea of of doing life together, how life is better together, all year long, right? And it's because we're so passionate about it, and we're we're passionate because we've seen the effects of doing life together in our own lives, and we think that that it's something everyone can benefit from. Whether you're looking up, you know, Bible verses together, where you're talking about Jesus together, worshiping together, or li- literally just getting together every now and then to sit down and have a meal and just catch up. There's something powerful about joining with other people and celebrating life's victories together and also going through life's trials together. And I guess if we're thinking again about this through the lens of loving other people, why don't we just think about how God chose to show his love for us? Because he did it by showing up on earth. He lived with us, he ate with us, he drank with us, he ministered to us, he spent his whole life on earth serving people that the religious leaders at the time had had rejected, serving people who were broken, serving criminals, serving people who, who felt they weren't good enough for God's love. Pastor Craig Groeschel says it like this, he says, God didn't shout his love from heaven, he showed his love on earth. He says it's even in one of Jesus' names. Emmanuel, which means God with us. So if that's how God shared his love with us, why do we settle for less with one another? So I guess two, two practical thoughts that I want to leave with you today um, that really hit me that I should apply to my own life. Uh, that's what I want to talk about as we close. So the first one that I want to encourage you with is, is this idea of practicing presence. So don't settle just for connectedness through technology, connectedness, connectedness via social media, because that is great, but there's more to, more to relationships with than that. There's more to, to intimate connections than that. So make a habit of being truly present with one another. Make it a habit to love people face-to-face in reality rather than just you know thumbs-to-thumbs through a screen. Because we obviously can share love through social media, but there is so much more and so much different love that we can share when we're, when we're face-to-face with one another. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 actually puts it like this. He says, don't just pretend to love others. He says, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. And later he says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. So I thought we could just do a little thought exercise just to, I guess, reinforce this point. I want you to imagine that someone you know, someone that you might consider a friend has, um, has recently gone through some kind of trial, something, something they're struggling with. You know, maybe they just went through a, a pretty bad breakup. Maybe they, they lost their job or they missed out on a job that they were hoping to get. Uh, maybe they didn't get into the degree that they were hoping to study. Maybe they... Um, Maybe they're experiencing health problems. I don't know what it is, but in that kind of scenario, what's an acceptable way that many of us would turn to initially to express love and show show love to that person? We probably, one of the first things we might do is get our phone and send them a text. And that's a good start. Right, we'll send them a quick text, you know, hey mate, I'm thinking of you, you know, I know that, you know, life's pretty tough right now, so um, just wanted you to know that I'm thinking of you. If, you, if you're a Christian, maybe you'd say, you know, I'm praying for you. 
And that's excellent. That is, that is meaningful to people. And it's an acceptable way of showing love. But I suppose if we're Christians who, who want to talk about how we can show the love the way Jesus did, what's something we can do that takes it to the next level? Still using our phones. We can call them, right? We can give them a call. We can hear the tone of voice that they have. We can hear, you know, in the way they speak, the things that they feel like talking about in real time, how they are, how they're feeling. We can offer our support that way. And conversations tend to go differently when you're hearing a real person's voice than they do if you've, you've each got five minutes to, to vet what you're saying and, and, you know, filter the bits that you don't want people to hear from, from the bits that you do. So what's the next level after that? What, what else could we do? If someone was really struggling and we wanted to just pour love on that person, the next step from, you know, texting them, giving them a call, sending them a message through social media, what, what, what would you do? You might go see them, right? You might go see how they are, talk to them face-to-face, in person. And, and again, that, the reason that's another level of intimacy is that there is more that you can do face-to-face than you can through a phone. You can, you can, you know, pat them on the back, you can give them a hug, you can just sit and cry with them. And instead of praying for them, you can pray with them. You can pray with them over the phone where you, you can't, it's hard to pray with someone through text messages. But you can pray even better with someone in person. And I guess, you know, not only in, in the worst of times, but also in the good times, there's more that you can share with one another when you're face to face. I guess one of the reasons this really hits home to me and that I'm, I'm kind of passionate about this idea is that um, it really got driven home to me a few years ago. Um, Ash's family experienced, you know, one of the hardest things that I can ever imagine going through in that um, her brother passed away when we were in grade 11. Um, and I, I remember that time pretty vividly because, um, you know, when I found out about it initially, uh, Ash wasn't at school and I didn't really know we were friends, but, you know, we didn't talk all the time. And I just remember sitting at my computer sort of thinking to myself, you know, what, what, what do you say? What can you say to someone that's going through, you know, one of the worst things imaginable? And I remember sitting there for a long time just, you know, going through this message that I wanted to write to her and, and you know, editing it over and over and over again until I thought I had something that was okay. And I remember hitting send and then, you know, she responded. And, and I just remember feeling afterwards that it was such a such a pathetic attempt to get a, get through to her, such a pathetic attempt to show love because there's only so much that text on a screen can do. Um, and I've spoken with Ash about this time in, in her life since and, and she, you know, everyone that sends her a message during that time, she says she remembers all of them and that they all mean a lot to her, right? So don't, don't underestimate the value of getting in touch with someone online. That's not the point of the story. But, but the thing that she still brings up now more than anything is, you know, the people who she felt she didn't really know that well, she, you know, she'd met them a few times, she wouldn't, you know, she didn't talk to them very often, but they dropped what they were doing, and, and they came around to her house, and, and they sort of checked on her and her family, they brought flowers, they brought food, they, they just stopped what they, dropped what they were doing, put their life on hold to go and love on her and her family, that's what she still talks about today, and there are pe- th- these are people who, she may not have heard from five times since, but th- at that time in their, her life, they made such an impact on her by the way they were able to show love. And the thing is that, that presence has that impact, doesn't it? Presence alone has a far more powerful impact sometimes 
than, than words can. So the second thing that I want to, to leave with you is, is that I want to challenge you to, to be engaged with the people that you spend this face-to-face time with. Now, how easy is it when you're with someone, you're sitting down to have coffee, you're sitting down to have a meal, and even though you're with them, you're not with them. You know, your phone is buzzing, it's vibrating, it's, it's, it's dinging, you quickly check your messages, oh, and then you, you know, go back to this. And then you, so we're multitasking. We're multitasking when we're right in front of people. You know, if you go to a restaurant, you'll see this, but there'll be couples at the restaurant. I know this because I've been this couple at, at a restaurant. We've organized to go out for dinner and we're all excited about it. And we get to the restaurant, we chat for a bit, and then we both end up on our phones, you know. It's not intentional, but it just happens. You know, I, I, think, I think of times like, you know, Samika has had people over to her house or I've had people over to our house. And you get, you, you get your mates around and you start, you know, watching TV, you start hanging out. And before long, like, mum pokes her head in and we're all on our phones and we're tagging people on Facebook. We are alone together and yet we're still tagging each other on Facebook rather than just, like, talking in real life. And I mean, parents, I, I don't know that you're blameless in this scenario either. You know, how many times has, has your kid been trying to get your attention for something and you've got just, you know, an email that you've got to finish up writing? And, and it's, not, it's not a bad thing to have emails to finish up writing. But I think, it, I think, again, we just need to consider the effect that it's having on our day-to-day relationships. And I guess, you know, to drive this point home a little bit, imagine how incredibly inappropriate it would be if I caught up with you for coffee, we went out to coffee at a cafe, we were chatting, you started telling me a story about something that happened to you this week, and while you're talking, I grab a book that I'm about halfway through, and I get it out and I open up to my page and I just start reading, right? And I'm still responding, but I'm really reading. So I'm kind of throwing in, a, oh, that sucks, yeah, I hate that guy. Or, you know, I, yeah, oh, I totally agree, couldn't agree more, right? I, I'm, just, I'm just on autopilot because my, my head's not with you, right? And then every now and then you stop talking because you trail off thinking, what, what's going on here? And I look up, I come and go, yeah, keep going, keep going, it's fine, yeah, no, I'm listening. And you go, what did I just say? And I, I, I repeat it because I just remember that last little bit. You go, okay, fine. So you keep talking and eventually I put the book away and I get out like uh, my to-do list, right? And I start writing, you know, um, make sure I get, you know, pick up milk from the shops. Got to call that guy about, you know, booking my car in for a service. Got to call the aircon repair guy. Um, and then you just kind of, again, what's going on? And I go, no, keep going, keep going, keep going. Put my, you know, my to-do list away. And so we get back into it, we talk for a couple more minutes, and then um, I just get up and walk off. Like imagine, imagine how rude that would be, but that, that happens, you know, in, in the virtual world that we live in on, online, that happens. You'll be talking to someone on Facebook, I don't know, does this happen to everyone, or do people just leave me hanging all the time? I'll be talking to someone, we'll be flat out, you know, back and forth, message, 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 and then one of us just won't reply, and the other one's kind of like, oh, and then it just fades out, and you know catch up next time you know what I mean it's it's such a bizarre thing to it's just such a bizarre way to treat people you would never do that in real life and yet that's that's kind of you know how how things go on social media we're, we're present but we're not engaged what point is there in being physically with somebody if emotionally you're somewhere else if mentally you're somewhere else so we multitask we engage in something online at the same time as we're engaging with someone right in front of us and every time our phone dings, every time we get that vibration, our, our instinct is to check it, right? We want to just see, what, what was that about? Was that someone that, you know, did someone like that post that I just did? Did someone, did someone message me? You know, there's this, uh, there's this whole FOMO 
thing where, you know, people have a fear of missing out for the parents in the room who aren't familiar with that. Fear of missing out. We, we, we're concerned that if we leave our phone aside for too long, we might miss out on something valuable. You know, we might miss out on something important. And I suppose I think the question that, that I guess we need to pose to ourselves is we have a fear of missing out, of, uh, missing out on things that are happening online, but really shouldn't we have a fear of missing out on, on the relationship that could be developing in real life, on that deep, intimate connection that we all really, genuinely want. And coming back to what Jesus said, he says, they'll know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And John said it this way in 1 John 3, verse 18. He said, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So he's saying, you know, don't just say you'll pray for someone and then maybe you'll do it, maybe you won't. You know, actually pray for them. If you say you're going to pray for them, pray for them. And, and even better, if you, if you can, if you, if you have the time and if you can make it work, you know, pray with them. Go over and pray with them. You know, don't just like someone's posts on Instagram. Don't just like their highlight reel. Like who they are as a person enough to engage with them day to day. I think he's saying be involved in their lives. Be involved in people's lives and love them so aggressively and so selflessly that they and, and others around you might look at the way you love and say, look, I'm not really sure about the whole Jesus church thing. I'm not really sure I believe what they believe, but I really want what they have. And I'm so glad that I have a friend like them. So I don't know how this plays out for you. You know, I'm not a parent, but maybe you set yourself some boundaries with social media. Maybe you set yourself some boundaries with your phone. I, I don't know how it plays out. And I don't know whether it plays out for you individually or for, you know, you and your partner or your entire family. But I guess I just want to put it on your radar to think about maybe practicing presence by instead of saying, you know, let's catch up soon as you sign off from like a group chat, actually set a date and catch up in person. Make it a priority to see people face to face. Look, maybe you join a, a life group, maybe you start a life group and you, and you chase Jesus together. Because we wouldn't push them so hard here at Refresh if we didn't truly believe they can make your life better and make you better at life. But however, however you go about applying this, uh, I hope that you'll just be guided by Jesus' words to his first followers when he said, Love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Just like a bow heads, we pray. Uh, hey, Father God, um, I just want to thank you for the way that you love us um, every day, and and the way that you know you've you've shown us how to love one another through Jesus. I want to pray that that will that will sit on our minds and, and will sit on our hearts this week uh, as we go about our day to day lives, and I pray that we won't be um, tethered to our phones to an extent where it it detracts from the lives of the people around us and from the way we could love them. Uh, we love you very much and we can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name, amen.